Hello, I'm Val Pancakes, and joining me tonight on the stack, I have Daniel Makabe. They don't call him the wrestling genius for nothing, and he's been widely regarded as one of the best technical wrestlers in North America. Please help me welcome Daniel Makabe. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, uh, that's a, that was a very, uh, very kind intro, uh, and uh, I appreciate it, and uh, it's going to be fun. For sure. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to have you here. Um, I'm glad that you wanted to hang out with me and talk and just get into some hopefully interesting introspective conversation. So <laughs> I can talk. I have I will warn you. So not a problem. Hard same on my side. Um, I never shut up. So <laughs> this might be a lengthy one. <laughs> so um, just first off, how long have you been wrestling? Uh, so I got trained in the summer of 2003, um, but I haven't been wrestling for 18 years consecutively. Um, there were, um, some periods of inactivity. There were some periods, um, where I was nursing some injuries, where I had other priorities, um, it's not a secret that I came up in um, kind of an underground community of backyarders who now make up a good portion of the current independent wrestling climate. Um, and that's honestly led me to a bunch of opportunities. So um, of, you know, friends that I made along the way. So uh, there was definitely periods of time where I wasn't working the pro wrestling scene here in the Northwest. Um, uh, but uh, consistently, I'd say I've been working pretty steadily for the last like six or seven years. I've been, I've been back kind of in the swing of things. So 18 years, but not really 18 years. Fair enough. Uh, what was your first exposure to wrestling? Uh, my first time ever seeing it was uh, my father took me to watch WrestleMania 7, uh, which is going to date how old I am, probably, uh, roughly at least. Uh, and we <laughs> watched it on closed circuit, which like this was before uh, pay-per-view was readily available, um, certainly up here in Canada. Um, and I think Canada was the last market to still have closed circuit. Like that's how the original WrestleManias were available, right? Before we had the capabilities of watching these things in our home, right? Uh, so yeah, we watched WrestleMania 7 on closed circuit at the Pacific Coliseum here in Vancouver um, on the big screen. And I was instantly addicted. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I was watching... Um, Canada was definitely mostly WWF um, product on television up here. There was some WCW uh, on television, but uh, definitely not as much. And WCW never came uh, to Vancouver to run shows until the year 2000. They ran Vancouver once, uh, ever, in the whole history of the company. They only came to Vancouver once. Um, so I, uh, yeah, pretty quickly thereafter, I was going to WF house shows, watching all the syndicated television. Uh, yeah, gobbling it up. Uh, so from the ripe old age of, uh, of six or seven years old. So 
Right on. So what was a young Daniel like? Say that again. What, what was a young Daniel like? Young Daniel. Wow. <laughs> like we're talking about young Daniel who's just been uh, exposed to, to the WWF, I guess. Yeah. Um, what was I like? Um, good question. I don't know. I, I, I've always liked, um, I always liked sports, um, and like a real wide variety of sports. It's kind of fluctuated over the years. Like now, obviously I'm a huge, um, soccer fan as anyone who's seen me wrestle can probably guess. Uh, and I'm also a huge baseball fan. Um, but from a young age, I was, you know, I played baseball, I played soccer, I was watching hockey because I was Canadian and that's just the thing we do up here. Um, and so, yeah, I was into sports. Um, pretty good student, I guess, in school. Um, really good at math still to this day. Uh, uh, and I have a good memory. That's another thing um, that has always sort of been a thing. Um, always was really into like statistics and geography and would just bother my parents endlessly on on car trips i had like an atlas that i would take the car with me and would be studying all the various capital cities and and countries of the world and, and whatever so um and then yeah i mean pretty pretty early on wrestling took hold uh, i remember when i was very young i took um i took gymnastics classes on the weekend and I took trampoline classes on the weekend um, and that would cut into watching wrestling which I didn't love because the classes just happened to be at the same time that it was on television so it would be like a race home to watch whatever wrestling was on tv after after those classes um, but I will thank those classes because I still move pretty well for someone who um, I'm not a huge individual but I'm like I'm big for the independence. <laughs> and so uh, I, I still move pretty well. And I, I used to be um, quite um, agile when I was like in my twenties now, not so much, but, but I've, I've, held, I've held on to some of that agility. So I thank my parents for, for putting me in, in gymnastics and trampoline classes at, at a young age, even though it cut into watching wrestling. So. Well, I guess it worked out in the end then. <laughs> I would say so. I would say so. So, like, who are your first favorites in wrestling or what would you consider, like, your inspirations in wrestling? Those are two very different things. Uh, because my, my first favorites were, were straight up uh, The Ultimate Warrior and, and Hulk Hogan, for sure. Um, and as you can tell, I've never really wavered from those things uh, inspiring me and what I do in the ring now. No. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I, I eventually my tastes changed as we you know grow grow old. Um, not everyone's taste changed though. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I think it's kind of a rite of passage growing up in Western Canada that you eventually have to uh, become a Bret Hart fan. It's just kind of logical. It comes with the territory. Um, and he's treated as such in this country as, as being kind of a larger than life national hero, you know, um, he's like a national celebrity. Um, so yeah, I think 
I can, uh, I was thinking about this the other day and uh, I think we can probably blame Bret Hart for turning me to the dark side of, of technical wrestling. Um, but as I grew older, you know, I got attracted to a lot of Japanese stuff, a lot of Mexican wrestling, um, other, you know, technical wrestlers, Dean Malenko uh, was someone when I saw him on WCW, he became kind of an inspiration. My first real like favorite Japanese wrestler was Mitsuharu Masawa, um, who I still to this day uh, am a huge fan of. And so, uh, yeah, that's, you know, it, it, you know, as progressed from there to, you know, as I was training and getting into uh, working professionally, uh, Brian Danielson was obviously a huge, huge influence uh, still to this day. So how did you decide to pursue wrestling? Uh, so I never planned on going pro. Um, it was something where I was backyarding, uh, with some school friends and I was the one who was like really, really into it. And they were just kind of like along for the ride. It was during the attitude era. So wrestling was like at its peak popularity. And so even if they really didn't like wrestling, everyone watched it kind of thing. And but eventually they kind of fell off and I uh, met some new friends at uh, going to local independent shows who were running a backyard fed on a trampoline in their backyard. And so uh, I ended up just kind of falling in with those guys and we would run our backyard shows. We eventually built our own rings, um, which we did for years. Uh, and then we started booking um, with one of the local wrestling schools. We would book their ring once a month to run like our pay-per-views, I guess, for lack of a better term. So we would have like our weekly shows on our homemade rings, literally in like the forest. And then once a month, we would have these big shows in the, the pro ring that we would book. And we did that for probably a good year. And finally, the guy who ran the school was like, I mean, I'm sure he saw dollar signs, but uh, he's, <laughs> hey, you guys aren't terrible, I guess. <laughs> have you ever have you ever considered training and, you know, doing independence or whatever? And so, yeah, that summer we, uh, the three of us, uh, my friends, Justin and Scott, Scott is still in the business. Uh, he, you know, predominantly just works uh, in Seattle uh, as Big Cat Scott Henson. Justin no longer is in the business, but uh, but all three of us got trained that summer and uh, kind of went from there. So, so a couple of questions. First, yes. what kind of ring did you guys make? Like I've heard, like I've and I've seen like different backyards where they've done like the mattress thing. Um, I know you mentioned a trampoline. But like, how did you like construct your own ring? So we had two I'm different two different versions. Uh, we we did when I first started with them. We actually just used the trampoline and we bought like fence posts and like rope and like made the posts and ropes and everything. But that was more just like cosmetic thing. It doesn't really it's not functioning. <laughs> um, so like 
the classic backyard homemade ring, which like everyone kind of goes through and figures out the best way to do it. Um, we, we figured out the, the formula that worked for us, I guess. They typically don't have posts or rope, right? It's just more of a base that you're having matches on, right? Um, and so uh, you typically, you need a lot of tires. Um, you need plywood. You need carpet underlay, which that's typically what the padding in most pro rings is anyways, is like that kind of thick kind of carpet padding. Uh, and then you need some tarps and then some duct tape. And that's kind of the gist of it. Um, the best ring that we ever made, we, I don't know where, like, I know we didn't pay for any of this. Like we maybe paid for the tarps and the wood, but the tires we would typically go to like local, like automotive shops, just ask them for old tires that they were throwing out. And the best ring that we ever made had it was seven by seven stacks too high with each quadrant of four stacks taped all together so they wouldn't shift and they would all kind of adhere together so seven by seven times two that's 98 tires i don't know how we like we picked up 98 we didn't all, all didn't drive we like maybe one or two of us drove and uh we somehow managed to get that many tires and, and, and build it. And um, we we probably built, oh God, in the span of like a year and a half, maybe two years, we probably had to build four or five rings because uh, the city kept taking it. So like, what, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think people would claim that we were on their property. Sometimes it was the city claiming it was, it was city property, but yeah, we had, Lots of rings torn down, and we just build them. So, well. <laughs> like that's like <laughs> it, it just shows so much dedication to something that you're just gonna keep like picking up tires and like building yep. rings and just yep. keep going. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so did so I assume that people like came to these like your classmates or whatever, right? Or was it just like purely for your own enjoyment? occasionally someone would invite like a non-wrestling friend or like a schoolmate but typically it was just like the backyarders having shows for each other and that never really changed even to the point where like we started to travel and have these big um kind of like summits of like backyarders from all over the place it was not for a paying audience it was like you would have your match and then you would watch all the other matches, which honestly was kind of the genesis of Beyond Wrestling. And that was um, the theme of their show a couple of weeks ago, which I know you were at <laughs> because <laughs> we both were firsthand to some uh, interesting characters who were oh, also- That um, is kind of you to say. That's interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be polite. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how Beyond started was kind of like people who came up in that scene who had subsequently gone trained and were doing pro stuff, but it was kind of just pro shows for pros by pros, you know, that's kind of the idea of it. So I mean, it's not really much like I mean, it's a little bit different, but still it's just like the boys trying to pop boys in the back anyway. So 
<laughs> yes. Although I will say that I watched, I mean, when I was back gardening, I would watch every single match on the show. And now I, I don't know if I've just had, I have too many like superstitions or too many, not superstitions, but just routines, I guess. Um, that if you're before me on a show, I'm probably not watching your match. And if you're after me, like I need a period of time to like cool down and then, then I will go and watch the, the remainder of the show. So but on most shows that I'm on, like I maybe see the main event. And if I am the main event, then I'm not seeing anything. So <laughs> I suppose you gotta prepare for your own match and do your own thing. Yeah, I don't know. I just like to I I I stretch a lot. Uh and I also like the other kind of secret is without glasses, I'm like very, very blind. Um and so I typically will take my glasses off like a match or two before my match just to try and kind of train myself and accustomize myself back to being blind, I guess. I don't know. It just kind of helps get so, me get get me in the in the right headspace. Yeah. So you don't wear contacts in the ring? Like you just go in there and can't see anything? I do not wear contacts in the ring. I never have. I've always I've had I've worn glasses since I was seven. Uh, and I've had pretty bad vision my entire life. Yeah, I've never wrestled with contacts. Or, uh, yeah, I just kind of figured it out, and I've been doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, my mind is blown, because I've had glasses since, like, the second grade, yep. and I can't see a damn thing without my glasses, but I have contacts that I wear quite regularly. If you ask me to do anything without my glasses, I'll be like, guess again, because I, I am not even going to be able to walk. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to walk long distances or drive or I couldn't watch a movie or television or anything without glasses, no way. But but fighting Wait. people, fighting people <laughs> for money, absolutely, I will do that blind. 100%. <laughs> that, that honestly... Like your wrestling is fantastic, don't get me wrong. But now that I know that you do it without like being able to really see anything, like that's the most impressive thing about you to me now. Because <laughs> I can't do anything without my glasses. That yeah, I was doing like a press kind of I don't want to say a press conference, but like um whenever you um I've been over twice, lucky enough, for WXW in Germany, they do these kind of like press meetings like after the matches where like they have like media from various websites and, and local television and all sorts of stuff at the shows. And they'll like throw you in front of them with a microphone. And yeah, that question got asked because I think someone got tipped off to it. It was like, Hey, we heard that you're actually blind. And in front of like all these people, I was like, yeah, that's true. I can't see anything. And like the room just went silent. Everyone was like, wait, what? Like I've seen you do some like crazy thing. And I was like, yeah, I can't see where I'm, I have an idea of where I'm going. I can see, you know, shapes and colors and that sort of thing, right? But wow, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> like that, like my mind is completely blown. I, like I said, I know, like without my glasses, I cannot see a damn thing and or really do anything. Like I wouldn't even want to. And you're just like fighting people for money and bouncing off ropes and, and doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm just like I. I can't even like fathom that. That's so out of the realm of things hope, that I can think of. I hope that's the headline that gets taken from this is Daniel McCabe fights for money whilst blind. 
just because I think that's that's a funny recurring phrase. Of, <laughs> it's not a lot of money. Um, <laughs> it'd be like Daniel Macabe fights people for fun whilst blind. That's maybe a little bit of a better headline. So <laughs> it's like one of those fill in the blank things, and it just all of a sudden just came together. Yes. It's like <laughs> yep. Daniel Macabe fights people for money while blind. Yeah, I should uh, put that on a t-shirt. So. You really should. <laughs> I would absolutely a thousand and ten percent. I was going to say I'm not opposed. Shirt. I've I've had some very <laughs> wordy shirt designs in the past. Anyone who's bought, I I had, yeah, I've had some shirt designs that are just like full on text, no nothing else. So yeah, if it's clever that. and I and it's and I think it's good. I'll do it. So yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> So my other question regarding your illustrious backyard career, is there yes. any is there any footage of that that exists anywhere? Lots of that. Is it like all on YouTube? Some if of I it. if I search like Daniel McCabe backyard. You'll find oh. some stuff. Yeah. Not a lot of the early, early stuff, but yeah, it's out there. Brilliant. I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> I'll I'll maybe curate some stuff that I'll send to you. Send That's, me, yeah. I'll yeah, watch because some of it is better than others. Like that was the other thing is like I I did use this name when I backyarded, um, and then when I came back to working more regularly in like 2014, 15, it was just on local shows in Seattle. And I was like, I don't need to change my name. Who gives a shit? And then like this happens and it's like, oh, I'm getting like flown to Europe and all over the United States. And like, I'm still using my dumb backyarding name that was 100% like an inside joke that I took years and years ago. And it is based on Togi Makabe, who's a New Japan pro wrestler. Um, that's who the name is taken from. But like, and you told me years ago, like, hey, all these cool things are going to happen to you. I don't know, like, let me think of a better, like, name to go by for the next 18 <laughs> years of my life. But here we are. So, yeah. But yes, it's out there. I'll, I will personally find some, some above average stuff and send it to you. <laughs> no, send me, send me all of it. Send me uh, above average. Send me, like, bottom of the barrel. Like, even, like, I'm sure that even like the stuff that you think is bad will probably be better than a lot of stuff. So fair, fair. There's actually, there's a very good channel on YouTube of like our kind of community, like our backyard community. We had like a message board and a forum like pre Facebook and pre social media um, where a lot of people would share their, their media with one another and someone uh, who's actually a pretty prominent pro wrestler from Chicago. Um, he put together a, a YouTube channel and there's tons of it. On so, so yeah, there's a lot of entertaining stuff and I, I will send you some of the better stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> so you were talking earlier about how you were doing the backyard stuff and then you were booking this local promotions ring and then that's when you decided to start training is that yeah so like what was training like compared to your backyarding was it do you think it was easier or harder maybe i'm not quite sure where i'm going with that but. training's harder training's harder backyarding <laughs> you just do what the hell whatever you want to do basically right you might have someone who's like a booker 
for lack of a better word, who was like, hey, here's the matches I want to be done. But, you know, typically you just kind of go out and I think I know how to do this, right? But like, no one like takes backyarding serious to the point that they're like dieting or, you know, going to the gym or, you know, unless that's something that's part of their normal regimen, right? So I was lucky enough that when I started training, we, it was summer and I, um, my two buddies I was training with weren't working jobs. I was working a part-time job, but we were able to train like four days a week, three, four days a week, which is definitely above average. Um, and so, um, yeah, that was beneficial for sure. But like, yeah, you're doing way more cardiovascular stuff. You're doing calisthenics. You're doing all the unfun stuff that like comes with, with this so that like the training's hard so that the matches are easy in theory, right? So that you're not getting tired. And so, you know, you're not getting, you're not getting injured. That's the other thing. You gotta learn how to fall. You gotta learn how to do all this stuff. One thing that people 100% will take for granted unless they've never had to do it is when you first learn how to run the ropes. Um, especially, um, there's really only two kinds of, of ropes you're gonna encounter in a pro wrestling ring. You're either gonna have like actual rope rope, like the WWE uses rope, um, but it's still like a very hard kind of uh, elastic kind of rope or you're gonna have like steel cable, like aircraft cable, that's then typically wrapped in like, like garden hose. Like it's like wrapped in a tubing and then it's wrapped in tape usually, right? Um, so both have their pros and cons. Um, aircraft cable typically is, um, you'll get a better bounce off of it. So anyone who's doing like springboards or jumping off the ropes, they typically will prefer aircraft cable. Um, versus rope um not so much although like you you see lots of guys are able to pull things off in the wwe still they've got like tippy top ropes obviously um but one thing that people don't account for is when you're running into those ropes be them cable or rope or whatever your back is not used to that initially and so myself included and basically everyone i've ever encountered when you first learn to run ropes and you're just getting the repetition in of doing it over and over again, because there is a proper way to doing it. You have to hit them in a certain manner. You, uh, the amount of steps that you're taking when you're running between ropes is calculated. Um, uh, you end up with rope shaped bruises on your back. Like you end up with like lines across your back where the ropes hit your back because then you're just getting the repetition of hitting it on the same spot over and over and over again. That sounds incredibly painful. <laughs> it can be. It can be. Yeah. Like now, I mean, I barely run ropes. That's just more my style. But um, but like now I can run ropes all day and and it's just nature, right? But um, I'm not going to end up bruised. It's not going to hurt, whatever. But when you're first kind of building up an immunity to it, yeah, it sucks. So what was your first bump like in like a real, real wrestling ring versus like compared to like your yard ring? <laughs> Backyard rings are typically, um, they have a better spring to them. And they, um, like, even though I said like, you know, I know some people who have built, you know, backyard rings with mattresses or whatever. Obviously a mattress is nicer than a pro ring, right? Um, but even with, 
the like wood and carpet underlay. You get so much more spring from fires than you do from most pro wrestling rings. And that's the other thing, you know, the, the big thing is, oh, pro wrestling rings are spring loaded, right? I've been in maybe two spring loaded rings in my entire life. Like the majority of pro wrestling rings are not spring loaded. Um, and so, yeah, depending on the ring you're in, um, you know, some are a lot nicer than others. Some are a lot firmer than others. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of being mindful and just getting over it. You know, you, you got to be careful to not back your head, you know, so you got to be tucking your chin. You got to be mindful of, of spreading yourself out as big as possible to uh, increase your surface area so that, you know, you're kind of taking the brunt of everything across your entire body. Um, so it's just like a lot of little things that are being drilled into your head and you're sort of, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay. Now I just have to do it. And sometimes it's easier said than done. Um, so I don't remember having like too much difficulty getting over it. I think just because I had watched a lot of wrestling, I'd done a lot of backyarding at that point. It was just sort of, it kind of came to me like relatively easy. Um, which isn't to say like, I haven't been sore and I haven't had back issues and I haven't, you know, all that stuff, but um, just kind of, I think I had the nice kind of precursor that, that made a, a natural progression. So. Yeah. Most of the rings that I've seen have been like boards on metal with like, maybe like, like you were talking about like a little bit of carpet padding and then like the canvas. Is typically all they are. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody that anybody that ever is like, oh, they're padded, they have bring, I'm like, you're out of your mind. Not not any not any ring that I have ever seen. No, no. So um what would you say has been your greatest achievement in wrestling? And that can be like a title or a specific match or opponent or just something that you've done that you would consider like your greatest achievement thus far. Never actually thought about that. Um, hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Um, hmm. There's obviously been big matches. Um, there's been big accomplishments. Um, huh. Yeah, I want to write like an essay about that. I should actually like <laughs> should actually sit down and think about that. Um, I'm someone, admittedly, uh, who struggles with setting goals, and I always have um, from a young age. Like it was something I struggled with in school. Um, I just kind of rested on my laurels, and that's something that I was able to do to a certain extent in independent wrestling until. You know, once you kind of try to break out of your local area, then you kind of have to go in above and beyond and, and try to get better, right? Um, so I think getting out of the Northwest has been huge. You know, I love it here and I love the wrestling community here. Um, we have an amazing amount of talent here in the Pacific Northwest that a lot of people overlook because we're so far removed from the rest of North America. Um, but um, 
it was huge for me to not only just get out, but kind of become, I, I guess I will say one of my goals that I did set when I kind of decided, you know, there's bigger and better things out there for me was to like become the person that people think of when they think of the Northwest and to be like the go-to, like we want to get someone from the Northwest for our show. He's the guy. Um, and I think to a certain extent, you know, that that has been accomplished, you know, and, and, you know, obviously the pandemic has screwed everything up. Um, but, you know, prior to that, you know, I had a crazy 2019 and, and the beginning of 2020 where I was getting, you know, flown all over the United States and getting flown to Europe multiple times. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that's a broad answer that I'll give, you know, um, I, Europe is huge and, and, you know, I've, I've been lucky to, um, get booked in, uh, and booked very favorably in some really amazing independent wrestling tournaments, uh, most notably the Phoenix city invitational in, in Chattanooga, uh, in 2019. Um, I'm sure there are people who are listening to this who like me saying that, um, <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, multiple other tournaments all over North America, but getting to be a part of WXW 16 Carat in 2020 was, was huge. That's like one of the tippy top tournaments in independent wrestling. Um, it was the largest shows I've ever been a part of. Um, so, you know, that was huge. Um, and then I think just getting to wrestle people that, I look up to as being some of the best in the world and being able to hold my own against them and, and not only hold my own, but, you know, do well and, and have matches that people look at as being, um, you know, very good. <laughs> and so um, the two that kind of stand out to me and, and part of it is because of the building that happened. In, um, I was lucky enough to wrestle three times in a building called the Showbox at the market which is a very famous concert venue in Seattle, Washington, right across from the Pike Place Market, which is probably the most famous tourist destination in that city. Um, it's where they throw the fish. Um, and yeah, I was lucky to be on three shows in that building. And two of those um, matches were against uh, Jonathan Gresham and Timothy Thatcher, both of which in front of, you know, big houses, some of the biggest houses I've ever worked in front of and getting to do the kind of matches that I love and have always dreamt of doing against people that I consider to be the best in the world and, and have them be kind of looked upon as some of the best matches of the style the last few years or ever or whatever people want to say. So, yeah. Anyways, that was a bunch of answers I gave you for, for one answer. I can't really narrow it down to one. Get back to me at some point and I will, I will, I will, uh, I'll come up with a more definitive answer. You're fine. That was open to interpretation. Um, yes. and achievements are different for different people, depending on, you know, what you're looking to accomplish or whatever. Yes. So that worked for me. <laughs> good. good. So what, what if uh, it didn't and you were like, not a good enough answer. I'm going to hijack this, this, this interview <laughs> until you give me a better one. Try again. That'd be no. <laughs> quite the, the tactic that I would not see coming from you whatsoever. So thank no. you for not going down that, that route. 
man, this like I love doing these interviews, but it is all about it's all about who I'm interviewing. In this case, it's all about you. Like whatever you feel and what you want to say, like I'm not important. Like who cares about me? Like you're you're like the guy. So whatever you want to say, I'm not gonna fair enough. <laughs> I'm not gonna react negatively to your thoughts and feelings. Like that's what I'm looking for. So um, what has been like the greatest obstacle that you've overcome in wrestling? Um, huh. Yeah. Again, a couple, a couple different answers I'm thinking of. Uh, one I kind of over already went over, which is geography. Yeah. Geography is huge. Um, and like I said, there's a ton of talent up here in the Northwest. The reason why um, a lot of people don't find out about them is because no one gets out of here and you got to get out of here to, to make it, honestly. Um, like the two biggest names to come from Vancouver are Kyle O'Reilly and El Fantasmo. And both of them are kind of on top of their respective worlds. And both of them moved away from Vancouver in order to do so. Um, I'm not moving anywhere. That's not something that is really in the cards for me. Um, but I was able to um, get some chances, take some chances on myself. You kind of have to bet on yourself, you know? And, and so I was able to kind of put myself out there and put myself in front of new audiences like at WrestleMania weekend in New Jersey two years ago. Um, you know, I worked for, you know, some, some more high profile independents outside of the area. I worked for freelance. I worked for black label pro. I worked for Southern underground pro, you know, those places were willing to take a chance on me. Um, and so I was lucky in that, you know, but I, I had to kind of take a chance on myself as well. Right. So um, that, yeah, that's a big one for sure. Uh, I also broke my foot once. That was awful. Um, don't do that. I broke my foot in a match in 2016 uh, in Seattle, and it was uh, very painful and a real struggle dealing with um, insurance because I'm not an American. Um, and yeah, so that was easily the biggest hassle I've ever dealt with in wrestling, for sure. Fair enough. I, I kind of understand the geography thing. I like, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And once you get like West past Chicago, it's like a black hole. Yeah. Like it really is. And until you hit the West coast. So I see like the guys here struggle with that a little bit to like get out and I would, yeah, places. I would think that would be, maybe even more of a struggle than it is here. <laughs> so like you don't hear about anyone in kind of that Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, Utah, the Dakotas, that kind of middle part of, of the country, right? Whereas, I mean, I'm very lucky that we have a really healthy scene here in the Northwest between Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland. Those are three major metropolitan areas that I can work regularly between those three cities, like Vancouver to Portland's about a five to six hour drive. It's not too bad. Um, but if you were to keep going south from there, the next major kind of area is like San Francisco, Oakland, Bay Area. 
and that's like an additional like 10 12 hours from from portland down to there um likewise if i want to go east the states the states you know has some big spread out areas canada is way worse <laughs> because <laughs> the next major city east of vancouver is calgary which doesn't have as big of a wrestling community as you would think considering the history in that city of wrestling but there's still a scene um but it's also a an 11 to 12 hour drive from vancouver and so it's not easy yeah i wouldn't want to drive 11 or 12 hours the best i can do is about six to eight so <laughs> yeah which is why i mean I, I've never really done too much um, pushing, trying to get booked in Alberta, you know, in Calgary or Edmonton. It's something I'd like to do eventually, um, just because um, I love this country and I want to wrestle in more parts of this country. And outside of Vancouver, I wrestled in Toronto once and that's it. You know, I've never wrestled in Alberta. I've never wrestled in Quebec. Both of those provinces have pretty decent scenes. Um, there is wrestling in other parts of the country. It's definitely not as big. Um, but yeah, I would love to wrestle in more parts of my own country because that seems logical. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so what... Like, what are your future plans and dreams and what keeps you motivated either in wrestling or outside of wrestling or both? Oh, yeah. The future is a funny one. Uh, the current climate has definitely put things on hold or pushed things back. Um, being on the other side of the border has really... Uh, negatively affected whatever future plans I had for sure. Um, like funny enough, I had like a huge weekend booked for Tampa last year for WrestleMania, like some huge, huge matches. And then I had a handful of local stuff still on the docket um, for like springtime, like April, until the first weekend of May. And then I was actually going to take three months off because I had some nagging injuries. I had a back issue. I always have knee issues. My knee has been bothering me since I was 18 years old. Um, and so I was gonna take basically the entirety of the spring off and come back for uh, SEI last year, um, which like a natural kind of jumping back on point. And then uh, COVID happened and I figured, well, I mean, this is actually good because I was going to take all this time off. Now everyone has to take all this time off. I'm not losing any ground, you know, because that's kind of the unfair reality of independent wrestling is it's what have you done for me lately, right? It's who's the shiny new toy, who has a couple good matches and then it's all of a sudden, oh, everyone wants to book this guy. Right. Which is fair. That's I mean, I kind of fell into the same situation in 2019, you know, um, but uh, I figured, OK, well, 
we're we're all kind of remaining on an even playing ground while I take this time off to heal. But obviously, this is stretched on longer than uh, I would have liked. And the fact of the matter is, is the Canadian U.S. border is is closed to regular traffic. Um, I can't drive across it. It's a major hassle for me to wrestle in the United States, which is why I've only done it twice in the last year. Um, and so that's definitely put uh, everything on hold for sure. Um, what keeps me motivated? I'm not someone who's particularly motivated by uh, money. Um, I don't have aspirations of ever going and signing a contract to a major company. I don't think uh, either of the major companies uh, in North America really suit me or my style or my personal values, really. Um, not that I fault anyone who wants to rest for those companies and obviously everyone else's dreams aren't gonna be the same as mine. Um, I am someone who is motivated first and foremost artistically and uh, by um, the fact of the matter is, is that there's so many talented independent wrestlers, people that I consider my peers, people that I look up to in some instances who I still haven't wrestled yet. And in markets or in cities or buildings or wherever that I still haven't wrestled. And I, feel like I still have enough in me to, to leave my mark on the wrestling community and to be seen as someone who um, was different and, and, and had interesting and, and good matches and in a style that's maybe antiquated, but honestly, I don't think it is. I think it, it's honestly, um, you know, my style has become unique because no one else does it anymore. Um, and so that just motivates me even more to be the best me that I can be and, and have a bunch of awesome matches along the way and, and have something that I can look back on when, when I finally am done, which I don't know when that's going to be, hopefully not soon. Um, I can be um, really proud and happy with what I accomplished and, uh, and something that I can show, you know, other people in my life, uh, Know, this was something that was important to me. I did it well. Well, I, I mean, I think that you're, to me, like I love your matches. I love the style that you have. So I think it's really cool that it is something a little bit different. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> so what have been like, I, First, so we were kind of talking about the WrestleMania weekend. Um, I know that you're a big music guy. Yes. <laughs> um, I appreciate your regular Twitter recommendations. And if you could sum up your Mania weekend uh, in one song, what would it be and why? We're talking the Mania weekend that just passed yeah, a yeah, weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, the most recent Mania weekend. That's a very clever question that I don't have a clever answer for. 
Uh, um, hmm. I, I can't think of a specific answer. Um, I will say that it, 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 it would be something that has, um, I think it's something that's balanced. Um, like full admission, um, I'm relatively happy with how many we can. I'm not, I'm not over the moon. Um, there's definitely some, like an element of um, bittersweet um, tone to it. Um, I don't think that I did my best. I don't think that um, circumstances were particularly how I would have loved them to be, obviously. Um, you know, it was something that I just felt the need um, to do, you know. I haven't stepped foot in a wrestling ring since October. I had the match with Lee Moriarty in Indiana. Uh, I came back. I had one match on a secret show here in Vancouver on Halloween. And then literally on November 2nd, all contact sports canceled in the province and they have been ever since. So um, it was just something that I needed to do for my own mental health. Um, and I just kind of had to just force it. It wasn't an ideal situation. I didn't really want to travel to Florida, if I'm being honest. Um, but I just felt like it's something that uh, I needed to do for myself. And it was either going to, you know, be a home run smash success or be, you know, I was going to end up sick and, and dead in Florida uh, or it was going to end up somewhere, somewhere in the middle. And uh, it kind of ended up somewhere in the middle. Um, so the first kind of answer that, that came to me was um, the song, uh, which I don't even really like this song that much, but uh <laughs> Is uh is bittersweet symphony by by the Verve, um, which was like a huge friggin' hit in like the late '90s that you could not escape, even here. I mean, they were a Britpop band, but uh, so that it's kind of first initial thought that came to my mind, and, and that's kind of the logic behind it. So oh. that that is like one of my favorite. Like if I'm in a bar and I want to hijack like their touch tunes that is usually my first go-to <laughs> that's because it's kind of palatable for everyone that's not me to feel out the room. <laughs> I, I mean there was a period of time there's a really funny john mulaney bit about hijacking a um jukebox and playing what's new pussycat by tom jones over and over again uh so if you haven't heard that bit i do suggest um looking it up it's very funny and I have definitely, when I first heard that bit with my friends, tried to reenact it, but most modern jukeboxes won't let you repeat the same song over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Like they'll, they'll cancel all the, this, everything after the first one. 
Um, and I've and I've had I've been in situations where I've gone to play that song and like it's gotten like a minute in and like the bartender or like a line cook or someone's been like, nope, this is not happening. Like I know what this person's trying to do. So, um, but the other song that I try to play when I'm in those kind of situations is um, I am the resurrection by the stone roses. And that's just because it's a really good song and it's nine minutes long. And so I like to get my money's worth. (laughs) See, if I'm trying to mess with people, usually my go-tos are under the sea from the little mermaid or uh, John Cena's entrance theme or the hokey pokey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's all sounds awful. So So you win. You win this round. (laughs) It's just because I'm weird. (laughs) But uh, speaking of music and favorites, what is your favorite like road music when you're traveling? Like, what is your like go to? This is what I'm going to listen to. Hmm. I typically I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm driving, typically. Um, But that can only do you so far right um what is my favorite it's really a situation by situation kind of thing uh if i'm with other people in the car i typically try to not annoy them with weird stuff or like stuff that's too heavy um I definitely, um, hmm. Nothing's jumping. Oh, that's annoying. Music guy is supposed to have all these music answers on the top of my head. <laughs> I'm failing. Uh, yeah. A lot of the times, honestly, like, and this is like as corny as corny gets, but this is something that I do typically when I'm traveling somewhere. Um, and it quite often colors, I don't know if people pick up on it, but when I'm doing my um, like daily recommendations on Twitter, as far as songs go, if I'm going to be somewhere for wrestling or otherwise, Typically, the recommendations are based on bands from that city or state or country or, or whatever. Or if I'm wrestling someone from a particular area and they're from out of town, it'll be a band, um, you know, from, from where they're from. So I did nothing but Florida stuff for, you know, two weeks ago or whatever. Um, sometimes it's easier said than done. Like I run out of German you know, German bands from Germany pretty easily. Um, it's a lot of like power metal when I go to Germany because that's all the stuff that I know from there or a lot of like 70s kraut rock I know. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, um, you know, if I'm driving to Portland, I just feel like listening to like some bands from the Northwest, you know, bands from Portland, like Decemberists or uh, Modest Mouths aren't originally from Portland, but that's where they're based on now. Um, so stuff like that or... Um, yeah, so I don't know. Um, kind of a situation by situation, situ- situation. Sorry. 
Uh, what podcast do you usually listen to? Oh, too many. Um, let me see. Uh, what do I listen to? I mean, there's some wrestling ones that I listen to. Um, what do I listen to wrestling-wise? Uh, I may... I mean, I've, I've been on the show multiple times, but Between the Sheets is probably my favorite wrestling podcast. That's every Monday, and it's like five hours every Monday. So when I'm, uh, you know, under normal circumstances and I have a normal work week, it gets stretched out over a couple of days because I can't listen to music at my desk, unfortunately. Um, I do have a boring desk job. Um, <laughs> what else do I listen to? Tuesday, I listened to a podcast called Axe to Grind, which is all about um, like hardcore and like punk rock music. Um, Wednesdays, there is a movie podcast that I listened to that I was actually about halfway through listening to today's episode. That's called So It's Come to This, a movie podcast. Uh, my friend Eric uh, runs that. He also writes for an amazing wrestling blog called Segunda Caeda. Um, Thursdays, I regularly listen to a podcast called Doughboys, which is um, two comedians who reviewed chain restaurants, and it's very funny. And um, yeah, I, and I subscribe to their Patreon as well, so I get like bonus episodes for that. Um, and then I'm sure there's something I'm missing. Um, you know, I've been on a couple podcasts this week, and they're ones that I listen to semi-regularly um friends of mine called quentin and timothy they've got a show called q and tr um i was on their show this past week talking about wrestlemania weekend stuff uh and then struggles who is the um play-by-play -play announcer for icw no holds barred he's got a really good um interview podcast called spotlight series that i was on the other day um and there's probably other stuff that I'm forgetting about. Oh, Song Exploder is a, an amazing music podcast that is now a Netflix series as well. Um, but it's like every other week and it's like 20 minutes. It's like an easy listen. And it's someone explaining like how a song is made. And it's interesting for me as someone who plays music and is a musician, um, also because of how foreign certain people's songwriting processes, like, how pop music is written is so foreign to me. It's like bizarre. Like they're going over like, oh, I met with my six producers and it's like, okay, like that seems excessive, but cool. You're worth a lot of money and I'm not. So, <laughs> um, but um, I think that's just a really interesting and it's a super easy lesson. So um, there's probably others that I forgot, but that's the majority of them. I think I've listened to different episodes of the Song Exploder before. I've only recently been getting into podcasts because my work is boring. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I don't have a long commute and I'm not able to listen to them at work. So sometimes like there was a period of time where I was working as a courier um, and I was literally just like, like on foot walking around downtown Vancouver, delivering packages all day. And so I was just like trying to find new things to listen to because I just had headphones in eight hours a day as I was walking around the city delivering packages but now unfortunately i have to be a little more attentive to computers and phones and stuff so yeah i'm lucky at my job i can mostly just zone out with some whatever i want to listen to which is great because then people don't talk to me which is fine that sounds ideal but yeah not always the case for me 
<laughs> Usually people interrupt me and I was like, hmm? Like a scared and confused. Uh, <laughs> so um, traveling, like what are your like go-to like road snacks? Oh, depends if I'm trying to be good or not. Um, yeah. There's like before a match or like after a wrestling weekend for sure. Um, like I want to hear I, it all. I'm a stand girl, so <laughs> yeah. And so like if I'm trying to be good, or if it's like it's Friday and I'm driving and I still got shots like the rest of the weekend, like trying to not drink calories. I'm trying to not have anything that's too fatty. Um, but if it's, I mean, full admission, like my go-to. Um, and not so much now, um, but like after wrestling meal is is Taco Bell for sure um, because they've got a ton of options for vegans and vegetarians, which I'm a vegetarian. Um, they're open late and um, it's pretty cost effective as well, which is which is nice. Um, but Taco Bell in this country sucks. It is not the same. Uh, and it's not nearly as good. So I refuse to eat it here. Um, but whenever I'm in the States, I typically will have it. Like most wrestling weekends, I'm probably having Taco Bell at least once. Um, and then if like a wrestling weekend's over and it's like the ride back from like a shot and it's like, hey, you did well, you deserve a treat. It's probably going to be something like Reese's specific. Like I'm a, I'm a peanut butter nut for sure. So like, I really like, the big Reese's cups that have um, like the little mini Reese's pieces inside of them, which seems like, what's the point? It's just excessive. It's peanut butter inside of peanut butter, but like it's added texture. And uh, yeah, those are really tasty. Um, I drink um, a bit of a coffee snob. Uh, so that's something that I'd like, if I'm going to be in a new city, I'm trying to find like, where's the best coffee. And like, luckily, like this past time in Tampa, I was staying with Violence is Forever and Kevin Koo, one of my good personal friends, is also a coffee snob. So we did the research and found like the best coffee places in Tampa and dragged the rest of our Airbnb mates with us like, hey, this is where we're going. Do you want something from there? Like, if not too bad, this is where we're going. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, always some kind of coffee. Um, I like, I'll drink yerba mate or um, uh, kombucha occasionally, but I don't drink a ton of soda occasionally. Like again, if it's like, okay, you did well, like you, you get to have like a Baja Blast at Taco Bell or something, but. I like that you're just like, no, we're going to this specific coffee place. 100%. <laughs> And I've been and in like cities, I've been in cities where, where I've been staying with people and they're like, hey, can you bring me to get like coffee? Like where are your local places? And they're like, we can go to Starbucks. And I was like, no, that is not an acceptable answer. Like in a pinch, <laughs> sure. But in an airport, okay. But yeah, no, if it's, if it's by choice, we're, we're going like somewhere local and somewhere, somewhere good. So. Fair enough. Um, what is your favorite city to wrestle in? Um, yeah, this isn't fair. It's Seattle. Like, 
hands down slam dunk. Like Nashville is probably runner up number two. Um, but yeah, it's Seattle. Like without, yeah, it's not even fair. I mean, I, I owe everything to that city um, and getting to regularly work in front of amazing fans and uh, for multiple companies. But um, yeah, it's a home away from home. Honestly, I, I've wrestled more in Seattle than I have in Vancouver, like way more in Seattle than I have in Vancouver. Um, I think the fans are, are better there, <laughs> being honest. Like, <laughs> Um, there are some great bands in Vancouver, don't get me wrong, but I just, yeah, it's it's my home and the people have really accepted me and my style um, there, you know, more than, than almost anywhere. So Seattle in a landslide. Nashville, I also love, I, I, and, you know, admittedly it's, it's working in the basement East for SUP in East Nashville for those fans, like that's an amazing crowd as well. Um, and then I, I will say, you know, this is in a city, it's a country, uh, but England um, has really kind of taken to me as well. Um, and I think it's just because the style that I work is, is a little bit more in line with what they're used to. And so I don't have to convince them that what I'm doing is, is interesting or, or cool or good because they already are on board. So. So what has been some of your favorite opponents or, or matches over, oh, over the many years? So many. Um, I feel like I give this answer in like every interview I do. So I'm just going to like say it and then we're going to move on. But like, okay. <laughs> I owe everything to Tim Thatcher and, and getting to wrestle him so many times. It's really how I learned so much and really kind of figured out what I was doing. And, and fought much better uh, getting to wrestle him at four singles matches with him over the course of like two and a half years. Um, I learned a ton getting to wrestle Jonathan Gresham uh, in Seattle. That was amazing. We were supposed to wrestle each other in Tampa last year, and that would have been awesome as well, but it didn't happen for obvious reasons. Um, getting to wrestle Fred Yehi, someone who I consider um like amazing and super underrated um and getting to do so in new jersey as a part of my first wrestlemania weekend it was like the icing on the cake for that whole weekend and, and kind of made everything worthwhile like yes i can compete at this level and like put on top-notch matches in a weekend where there's going to be a ton of top-notch matches um of Nashville wrestling Kevin Koo in Nashville he's one of my best friends but uh I love getting to wrestle him um kind of an underrated match uh, a couple matches I had in England that were really good all of these are available online on YouTube or on IWTV by the way um a couple matches I had in England that were really good one was against uh um someone named Carlos Romo who is from Spain uh we wrestled each other in Sheffield England that was my first match ever in England and was really, really well received. Uh, and then also I wrestled um, a, a British uh, gentleman named Jordan Brakes and we wrestled at Riptide Wrestling. And that was one of my favorite matches uh, that I've ever had for like a company that was amazing. Uh, and then I guess just, I know I'm, I used to 
favorite opponents. I'm just keep on rattling them off. Two I that said I would be, opponents. You're fine. Two I would be <laughs> remiss if I did not mention, and we can end on this, but two absolute <laughs> legends of wrestling who I, if you had told like 20 year old me that I would get the rest of these gentlemen, I would call you a liar. Um, one is Negra Navarro, who is an amazing luchador, uh, maestro, uh, mat worker from, from Mexico, who's in his 60s, has been wrestling since the 70s. Um, I got to wrestle him in Seattle in the summer of 2018, and that was an amazing match. And I'm currently in the process of politicking to get a rematch with him in Mexico. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw me doing that this morning. Uh, <laughs> the other match was getting to wrestle Yuki Ichikawa and Daisuke Ikeda, both um, of the Battle Arts promotion, legendary Japanese shoot-style wrestlers who I've looked up to since I was literally a teenager. I got to wrestle them in a tag match in Germany last year, and that was, like, truly, like, mind-blowing being told, like, hey, this is a thing that's going to happen. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's no big deal at all. I'm going to be able to keep my cool for the next week before this happens, so um yeah huge 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 so but there's lots of people i forgot and other people you know i uh i've i've been really lucky especially over the course of the last like three four years to get to wrestle some like truly amazing wrestlers in independent wrestling some of whom have gone on to you know bigger and better things in uh, you know major national promotions and some of whom i would love to get to wrestle again if i get the opportunity so I'm just going to assume that anyone you left out, you did intentionally because you hate them. <laughs> Honestly, I don't really hate anyone. I'm pretty affable. So yeah, you, if I hate you, you like did something really bad. So not, not my style. Fair enough. I'm just messing with you. A I know you're joking. <laughs> I was like, please don't ever take anything I say that seriously. I worry all the time about people hating me. So, <laughs> um, so what's your favorite move? to take and what's your favorite move to give oh boy favorite move to take Ooh, i know my least favorite move to take move to take. we can oh. start there that's fine <laughs> least favorite move is body slam just basic boring old body slam hate it don't do them to me if you're in a match with me and you call it i'm not gonna be stoked um favorite i used to love taking like a big rick flair back body drop um but much like rick flair my back has decided that i don't want to take those properly anymore and i land on my side like he does uh and so I, that's probably not my favorite anymore, but not a lot of people do them. And I know uh, my friend Dylan, uh, Dylan Hales loves back body drop. So any chance I can, I, I try to throw them in, but my back honestly doesn't really like them. Um, favorite move to give, you know what? Uh, I, if I can like land just like a perfectly executed and timed German suplex where my opponents like shoulders land perfectly on the mat as I'm falling into my bridge and there's no like awkwardness or like having to adjust on the landing that's like that's perfect that's like my absolute favorite if I can like nail a nice German suplex all day that's my favorite thing to do. 
And then do you have any like dream matches that you are like waiting for? Let's get the list out. Uh, <laughs> so you're one of the guys at the list. I always, I have, yes. yes. You, you're, maybe you're just a list guy. I kind of am a list guy. Um, yeah. Like, um, you know, I, I, when it seemed feasible to have goals for, you know, for the year, you know, when the year wasn't in so much disarray, um, I was starting to make like, here are 10 things I want to accomplish this year kind of lists. And some of them were specific opponents or specific companies that I wanted to work for, countries that I wanted to go, go to, et cetera. Like my favorite goal for 2020, which didn't happen, literally only one and a half of my goals happened for 2020. And then 2020 kind of just fell off, off the earth. Um, it doesn't count. No, I guess not. I got to wrestle Yuki Ishikawa. That was one of my goals for 2020. Um, one of them was wrestle in Mexico, but not against anyone under the age of 45. Um, I specifically just wanted to wrestle like old luchadors who work like that old, um, it's called Yave or called uh, Maestro style wrestling. Um, so yeah, that's one that I really wanted, but, but did not happen. Uh, but recently I did make a list that is people I still want to wrestle within parentheses again for anyone that I may have already wrestled. And I don't know, but like it goes on for a while. That's so a lengthy, lengthy and it's list. broken down by region, you know, people in, in Canada, specifically the Pacific Northwest, people in North America, people at the world and abroad. So, um, there's a few, you know, there's a few, uh, I won't name, you know, there's like 50 people here. I'm not going to name all 50. I was going to say, it looks like there's a couple. <laughs> no, you know, a couple of big ones that have been teased online. I mean, Alex Shelley is a big one. Um, you know, we've had some interactions going back and forth, playing songs for one another in the weirdest series of is this life uh, moments uh, for me. So that's a big one. Um, I was supposed to wrestle Nick Gage last year in Tampa and that didn't happen. And that's one that I think is just so off the beaten path that like no one would expect. But I just think we would have a really interesting match together. Um, Chris Hero is a huge one, uh, a big influence, obviously. He also goes by the moniker Wrestling Genius. I did not steal it from him if you think that I did. It was too ships passing in the night, I assure you. Um, but he's someone that I think I could learn a lot from and, and have a really interesting and good match with. Um, and then, yeah, there's still a ton. Uh, if, if I do get to go to Mexico, besides getting to wrestle Negro Navarro again, which I'd love, uh, Luchador that I'd love to work down there is named Virus, who is uh, an amazing mat wrestler. And that's something uh, that I would love to be able to do. But there's like 50 other people on there that I still have to wrestle. So I'm not quitting anytime soon. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you and Nick Gage would be interesting is a real good word for that. I I would be terrified, but <laughs> I mean when it initially that's why I'm got, not a wrestler. So <laughs> it, got, it got announced for Tampa last year, and I got so many messages of like, well, it's been nice knowing you. And uh I mean, full admission, I was I was the one who reached out to the promoter and said I think this would be an interesting match. 
I think this would sell tickets. I think it would be different from anything else on the, the whole spectrum of many weekend cards when there's a lot of repetition and a lot of samey, you know, you know, you see the same people wrestling on shows five or six times. This is a match that people would be like, what? did I read that correctly? You know, like I need to see this. And, and I think we just have an interesting match. I really hope that that manifests at some point. Um, and I hope that you survive. <laughs> I'll be fine. I'll be fine. So, um, independent wrestler, travel a lot. You have to have like at least one like really good road story. Either something like absolutely insane that happened or something really funny. Like everyone has like at least one really good road story. So you can like, if you need to protect people's names by calling them whatever you want to, by all means, I'm not going to have you out anybody, but um, I know that you have to have at least one good road story. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I do, but I'm trying to think. Oh, God. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. Huh. It is a good road story. Uh... Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Full admission. I don't know. Um. Ooh, I'm trying Have to look. Even, even any good like travel stories? You said you were overseas. Like anything? Oh, I mean about like. Okay. Well, about this isn't this isn't a nice story, but North it might be overseas. Yeah, this this is like the like. Definition. Um, yeah, this is the definition of like North American who does not speak the language uh, ending up in an in over his head. So the first time that I went to Germany uh, was for WXW. They were having um, like a big tag team weekend but I was booked for some like smaller shows to go with it. So they had a show called Inner Circle that I was on. And then they had a show uh, that was like an ambition shoot style tournament, which I've done multiple for, for them at this point. And so that was Thursday night and Sunday afternoon. In the meantime, I got booked for Riptide in Brighton in England. So I literally... I left Vancouver Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon. I landed in England, sorry, I landed in Germany Thursday morning. I had to do an interview for them for their website Thursday afternoon. Wrestled Thursday night. Friday morning, I flew to England, then had to take a train down to where I was wrestling. Wrestled in England Friday night, and then Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, I had to fly back to Germany 
because I had the show Sunday afternoon for them. So I land in, um, you know, WXW's main shows are run in a city called Oberhausen. And it's about a 20 minute drive or train ride from Dusseldorf, which is the main city. It's where the, the airport is. And so I was flying into Dusseldorf and previously I had been picked up by WXW. However, they informed me that the person who was picking me up was needed at the show. He was actually booked on the show. <laughs> and so they're like, hey, can you figure out the train and take the train to Oberhausen from Dusseldorf? Sure, no problem. They sent me like a, a list of directions on these are the trains to take and here's how to do this and that and whatever. And uh, so I booked my ticket and I got on the train and it was like maybe 10, 10.30 at night when I got on the train. And, you know, I was told, oh, it's only like a 20 minute train ride. And I kept waiting for the stop to come up. I kept waiting for the stop to come up. I'm looking at maps and the maps don't make any sense to me. Which train am I on? And, and no one speaks English. And uh, it wasn't until I'd been on the train for like an hour and was approaching a final stop that I realized that I'd gotten on the right train going in the wrong direction. And then I was at like the, the end of the line and uh, it was like 1130 at night and there was no one there and no one spoke English and like nothing was open, like no McDonald's or anything. So I couldn't even like the Wi-Fi uh where i was and luckily for me there was another train going back the direction that i needed it to go but i didn't end up getting to oberhausen until like 1 30 or 2 in the morning and then i had to wake up for like 10 a.m the next day and i had three matches the next day. Oh. so i yeah that was brutal that was brutal <laughs> <laughs> That sounds terrifying. I, I, like, I'm from a really small town in a really small place, and public transportation is like a mystery to me. Yeah. Trying to figure it out is just like scary. <laughs> I, it's just such lucky, a stupid thing to say, but no, that's fair. Like, admittedly, like, Vancouver has a really amazing public transportation system. And so, I, you know, I didn't have a driver's license until I was 23 because I was taking the train and the bus everywhere because it's so readily available. Like I'm, I'm an eight minute walk from a train station. I can be in downtown Vancouver in like 20 minutes on the train. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so that I, part of me was maybe being a little cocky and also being a little cheapish about asking people if they spoke English, but it didn't seem like anyone spoke English. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I screwed up. <laughs> the longer the short of it is, I screwed up. So, but uh, thankfully I wasn't stranded and thankfully I was able to get my destination and, and that was that. So, yeah. So um, I know with um, things the way that they are at present, um, do you have any like upcoming shows at this point or not really? No, nothing. Nothing. There are things that are on the table that will finger cro fingers crossed um, happen, uh, but nothing that's booked, nothing that I can advertise, uh, nothing that's 
that I'm confident will actually happen. Um, yeah, it all depends on um, the border opening again and traveling between countries being um, more feasible because right now it's not. <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, when, when that happens, I will, uh, I will be taking full advantage of it. I assure you, but but yeah, for the, for the time being, nothing, unfortunately. So outside of wrestling, what are some of your other hobbies? I know that, like, so I know you're a big music guy and that you are, in, like, you're a musician. But other than that, and if you want to extrapolate, that would be great. That's a big one, is playing music. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I play in a couple of bands. I haven't been able to, we haven't been able to practice regularly because of all of this. Um but I still play quite a bit at home. Um, and then um, what else? Um, I, I'm kind of outdoorsy. I didn't become outdoorsy till I was like in my late 20s, early 30s. And then it was like, oh, I live in the most beautiful place on earth. I should probably start hiking more. Um, so I do love to hike in the summer. Um, I like to go swimming in the summer. Um, I don't really play a ton of sports otherwise. I used to play baseball for like nine or 10 years. Uh, and honestly, what kind of killed that was um, me getting busy with pro wrestling because my baseball games were on the weekend and my bookings just kept getting more and more and more that I was, I was missing so many games. So, um, so I had to put an end to that, unfortunately. Um, what else? Um, I love going to the movies like I'm a bit of a I used to be more of a movie buff than I, than I am now but like there's like a local independent one screen theater here in Vancouver called the Rio uh, which was open for a period of time last summer um, but has subsequently been closed down again um, because of regulations here in British Columbia but I just like to go see old movies classic movies cult movies um, that's, uh, that's a big one for me too. So yeah. But otherwise, I don't know. I, I work, I, uh, <laughs> I go to the gym, I watch, I, you know, listen to music and podcasts and yeah, that's about it. I drink, I drink my weekends are, are usually drinking fancy coffee and going record shopping. Yeah. I'm a record collector too. So what are some of your favorite records that you have? Oh God. <laughs> um, I, I will say, I'll make this easy on myself. Um, like I don't know, like I've got some stuff that's worth some money, but nothing that's like hugely uh, valuable. But uh, my three favorite albums of all time that I will say that I own all three on vinyl uh, actually. And I think I own all three on CD as well. Um, are uh, Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea, um, which is one, of, is one of my favorite records to play along with too. There was a period of time where I could play most of the songs on that record. And I actually played in a Neutral Milk Hotel cover band for a period of time. Um, uh, a band called Slint, who released a record called Spiderland um, that actually just had its 30th anniversary. Um, hugely influential record on, on me, both as a fan of, of independent music and, and also as a musician myself. Um, and anyone who saw my most recent promo 
um, building up the match versus Eric Royal. Uh, I was playing a slint song off that record. Um, and then, um, like, I guess it's kind of a cliche, cliche answer, but the first Weezer record, self-titled Weezer record, the Blue Album, um, for me, my money is still, like, the most amazing, just, like, rock, power pop songs ever written. So catchy, hooky riffs, you know, the guitar tone's amazing, um, you know, relatable lyrics. I don't know. That's a band that I've, that I've loved. I mean, they've got such a huge catalog nowadays that like most of it's not good, but they still have some of my favorite records of all time. And, uh, and yeah, so that's one that I, that I go to all the time for sure. So um, what are, you said that you're a big movie guy, like what are some of your favorite movies? Oh, geez. Favorite movies. I used to always say that my favorite movie was Rushmore, which is a Wes Anderson movie starring um, Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray. Um, I still love that movie, but uh, upon re-watching it recently, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess like the point of the movie is that everyone's a horrible person. And so you're supposed to feel a certain way about them, but I was, I was really feeling a certain way about, about them at, at one point. Um, there's a movie called The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, which is a documentary about uh, the 80s hair metal scene in on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles. That is the most unintentional, hilarious comedy ever made. Uh, it's directed by a woman named Penelope Spiris, who made a, the, the whole trilogy of uh, decline in Western civilization films she made are, are very good. It stands out upon from the other two as being completely different and and very um, ridiculous. Um, she also made Wayne's World and, and a bunch of other movies. Um, so yeah, I love the decline. Um, what else? I definitely went through like an artsy fartsy period uh, in my like late teens, early twenties. I was a huge um, Akira Kurosawa uh, fan, who's a Japanese director um, who's made some amazing movies. Um, I guess most notably is Seven Samurai, which is um, like this epic, um, like three and a half hours, um, and. Um, yeah, I love his movies. Um, I'm a big documentary guy. Um, what else? Foreign films, um, you know, Stanley Kubrick. I don't know, a bunch of cliche things, I guess. <laughs> well, um, I have seen all of the Decline films. Decline 2 is fantastic. Yeah. Like, what sticks in my mind always is like, Paul Stanley just laying on the bed like talking the, <laughs> like it's normal <laughs> the funniest part about that which is like it's really sad and it's it's kind of mean-spirited but so like a lot of the set pieces in that film were like set up as most documentaries are like documentarians kind of want to like skew things to like fit a narrative right and so Penelope Spheris I guess showed up for that shoot with Paul Stanley with some models like in tow to be a part of the shoot with him, right? Because it's, if, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's Paul Stanley <laughs> filmed from overhead on this giant bed with like satin sheets 
and these like three or four like lingerie models like adorning him, right? Penelope Spears apparently showed up for the shoot with the models and Paul Stanley said, I, I can get better looking girls. And so like he like called up like Playboy models that he knew that he thought were more fitting of the scene because it was going to be put to film for the rest of our lives. And so those are the girls that are actually in the movie there with him. But yes, that seems ridiculous. Obviously, Ozzy making breakfast is is ridiculous. Um, some of the bands, like I, I can't get, there's a band that, you know, some of the bands who were in that movie went on to be like pretty big, you know, uh, like Megadeth is in that band, in that movie. Um, uh, who else has like um, Faster Pussycat, Cinderella, like all hair bands that were, you know, had their day in the sun. But there's a band in the movie called Odin who never became anything really at all. And there's there's two two moments with them. There's one where like they're getting called on stage by um, like the promoter and like a, like again like a like a model, and they start chanting Odin to like bring them on stage. But it's only like two people chanting Odin, and so it's like it's like the saddest chant you've ever heard in an independent wrestling show. And like two people don't want to give up on a chant, and everyone's <laughs> looking at them like. This isn't working. This person is not over to the level that you want them to be. And that was poor Odin in that case. And then there's also a scene where they're in a hot tub with, um, which is actually kind of a really sad scene because they, they talk about how like, they don't make it. Like they don't know what they're going to do. They might like consider killing themselves and like, they're all alive still. So it's fine. But like, they also didn't make it. So, um, but yeah, no. If you haven't seen The Decline too. If you take anything away from this interview, this last hour and a half of you watching or talking to me, uh, yeah, watch The Decline of Western Civilization too, for sure. I think they're all on yeah. Amazon. They're all on Amazon Prime now. So, so after this, go check that out. Yeah, you you won't be disappointed, even if you don't really like music or bands. Um, it, there's just even at face value, they are just kind of hilarious and also a little bit sad. Yes. Um, the guy from I think it was Wasp that was in the pool. Yeah, and just like Ooh. with his with his mom. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> so, um, just kind of gonna start wrapping up here because it's been almost two hours. So I apologize for taking so much of your time. No, you're good. <laughs> I'm on I'm on the West Coast, so it's not that late here. I feel bad for anyone watching on the East Coast still. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it's well past your bedtime. I, if anyone's still watching, I appreciate it. So <laughs> I'm central time, so I still got like an hour on that. You're, but... you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> so, um, what would you, if you could like go back in time, what would you tell like a 10 year old version of yourself? Oh God. Hmm. I mean, there's probably some like more important things that I could say or more uplifting things that I could say, you know, like I'm human just like everyone. And I had, you know, it during my teenage years and, you know, the whole, it, it's kind of a cliche, but you know, it does get better, <laughs> you know, um, there's a lot 
of cool shit that we, you know, all get to do once we kind of become adults and realize that all the petty crap that, you know, bogs us down as teenagers is, is really not a thing, you know? Um, but probably tell myself that, um, I feel like everyone would tell themselves that, um, I don't know. I guess I, I tell myself to, to stick, stick to my passions and follow them. You know, I, uh, admittedly, I started playing guitar at a pretty young age and gave up on it. Um, when I was like 15, uh, because, you know, like any teenager, it wasn't coming easy to me. You know, I had to practice, like who wants to do that? Um, you know, I, I picked it up again in my twenties and it's been one of the most kind of rewarding and stimulating things creatively in my life. I've met some amazing people through music. Um, I've got to see and do some really cool stuff. I played some cool festivals. Um, one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life was a two week tour of Cuba with, um, one of my bands, um, which I never, you know, would have gotten to do if I had not, you know, stuck with it. And, and same thing with wrestling, you know, like there was lots of periods of time where, you know, I just kind of fell off and, and I never, admittedly, I never expected any of this to happen. Um, so, you know, some of the coolest things I've gotten to do, some of the most amazing people that I've met, places that I've seen, um, you know, people that I, I love um, have come from this. And so, you know, even when things are hard, you uh, got to stick with them sometimes. Now, a two-week tour of Cuba? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, wait. <laughs> you can't just like gloss over that with me. <sighs> it's a, it's I'm, I'm, how does that even occur? It's a bit of a long story. Um, I have tweeted about it. I have spoken about it on other podcasts, not that okay. I'm saying listen to other podcasts, but um, <laughs> my a friend of mine from up here in the Northwest, his name is Ethan HD. Uh, he's an amazing wrestler from Tacoma, Washington. And he has a really good podcast called Going Home Early, which is focused specifically on traveling and wrestlers traveling. That's the whole premise of the podcast is so i do tell the entire story on on my episode of his show from a couple months ago but uh just to kind of give you a, a yeah give me broad, like the short and condensed version a broad understanding of it um yeah nine of us from up here in vancouver we traveled to cuba for two weeks uh not only did we play i think seven or eight shows on the island all over the country um but we also brought a around $5,000 worth of equipment, most of which we got through crowdsourcing, through donations, through buying um, via used means, or, or, you know, all of us brought, you know, older stuff that we no longer had use for, guitars, drums, all the hardware, the things that you, intangibles you wouldn't think about, you know, guitar strings, guitar picks. If I break a guitar string, um, I can go to the store tomorrow and get one. But in Cuba, it's a little bit harder all the hardware for the drums, the nuts, the bolts, everything, right? We played a two-week tour of shows with Cuban bands um, with us providing all of the equipment and the back line because that's something that they don't really have readily available to them. Um, obviously, um, the cost of things are, are kind of um, uh, 
it's out of a lot of people's means on that island. Um, like the average income of the average Cuban is like 50 US a month. Um, and so, you know, they can't afford, you know, nice equipment a lot of the time. Um, also, um, there's the whole embargo thing, which has made trade with the United States not so easy. The reason why we're able to do it is Canada doesn't have the same kind of relationship with Cuba that the United States does. And actually, after the fall of the Soviet Union and, and their ties to Cuba in the early 90s, what helped get Cuba out of their economic deficit was tourism, specifically from Europeans, and from Canadians. So there are um, a lot of Canadians who will go to Cuba on vacation like an American would go to an all-inclusive in Mexico. That's something that is very standard for us. Um, so we were able to make connections with a nonprofit society in Cuba who specifically work with like the arts um, uh, and culture kind of um, like branch of the government. And they're able to get us work visas to come in and do everything by the book. Um, and then we also bring all the equipment with us. Uh, and then after the two weeks are done, uh, we left all $5,000 worth of gear, uh, which is definitely not by the book. Don't tell the Cuban government that we did that. Um, and so that they're able to have a community and uh, a scene that can sustain itself because they have access to better gear and people can, you know, that's, that's something that they can grow and build upon is via, via music. So yeah, that was in December of 2017. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Hands down. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, do you think about like who has like your gear now and like where it's gone since you've left it there? The coolest thing. I mean, we have a friend who we still have contact with who kind of has, he stores it all. And sort of, he kind of almost like rents it out and I mean, not for money, but like he kind of is the keeper of it all sort of thing. Like um, the music gear library. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a nice way of looking at it. So it's all based in a, a city called Sancti Spiritus, which is really central in Cuba. It's like right dead in the middle of the island. Um, it's also a 500 year old city, um, which puts us in the Western world like, Oh, hmm, that's wild to think about things like that. Like we played venues, like uh, they'd be like, oh yeah, this was built in 1850 and we're playing a show in it. And it's like, that's crazy. Um, they also, because we're playing like punk music and hardcore and metal and stuff, they specifically asked if we could bring a Marshall amplifier, like please do. And so we managed to track down like a relatively inexpensive, like Marshall, um, like a full half stack that we brought with us, which has to easily be the loudest thing on that island. Like there can't be, like there are you know musicians who obviously play in bars. There are a lot of expats there who would play. Like we specifically went by, there's a Beatles themed bar in Cuba. So that sort of stuff exists. Music exists obviously in that country. But like no one's playing a friggin' Marshall half stack in that country. They don't have any use for it. So um, yeah, there's actually a very funny picture that I can send you of us us playing in the streets with the Marshall, and someone just has their baby sitting on the Marshall with like no headphones or no nothing, and it's just like this poor child probably went deaf, like sitting and watching us play. But yeah, 
anyways. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I got so sidetracked. No, it's so okay. Intriguing. <laughs> so, uh, a specific about pancakes question. How do you normally enjoy your pancakes? Good question. I had some very good pancakes when I was in Seattle. Um, so before I flew to Tampa, I was in Seattle for a week. Uh, my girlfriend lives in Seattle. And so I was spending some time with her and we went to this amazing vegetarian restaurant called Cafe Flora. It's in the Capitol Hill uh, neighborhood of Seattle. And we had some pancakes that had, it was like a citrus butter and some blood orange segments on it, as well as like a fancy um, pistachio crumble and some warm maple syrup. Um, so I don't always have pancakes that fancy, but those were like among the top tier uh, pancakes that I've ever had. Admittedly, I am Canadian. And so uh, I can be really picky when it comes to, I've been to lots of restaurants in the States where they advertise that their pancakes or waffles or French toast or whatever comes with maple syrup and they give you shitty old like generic table syrup that is 100% not maple syrup. Um, and so if you're going to give me maple syrup, I am a Canadian, you better be giving me the real thing. So I like like a fruit compote or, you know, like your, your chocolate chip pancakes or your blueberry pancakes, whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't have syrup, it's going to get dry. And so, uh, yeah, butter and maple syrup, above all else, those are necessary evils for sure. I just assumed that Canadians all had their own secret stash of maple syrup that they carry with them everywhere. Is this not the case? This is not the case. It's like really cheap store like it's really readily available here like good stuff is readily available here so, so yeah that's not an issue i mean it's it's probably in every canadian's fridge i have some in my fridge but like yeah i don't carry it with me i couldn't get it through customs either right you can't carry liquids on planes like that so. <laughs> you have to carry like a, like a what like half i would, have to, I would have to check a bag just to bring some maple syrup with me so <laughs> And then um, I'm going to set like a scene for you. So like you're like, you're like feeling snacky and you're like, I want to go get some cookies and you're like walking down the grocery aisle and you land and you're like, you know what? Oreo cookies. That's what I'm going to go for. Do you go for like a single stuffed Oreo cookie or do you go for like a double stuffed Oreo cookie? Um, yeah, the double stuff I, I think is too much, too much stuff. Um, Admittedly, I'm intrigued by all like Oreos have just like, since I was a child have gone like bonkers. Like there's so many different kinds of Oreos and I'm definitely someone who appreciates variety when it comes to snacks. So I want to try the new stuff. Um, so yeah, single stuff for sure. And like, give me your fancy Oreos. Like I tried the new like Brookie Oreos that they have. Um, they're really fucking good. So um yeah so single stuff and give me a fancy oreo like i'll have a regular oreo as well that's quite all right too um not huge on the golden oreos but um but yes fancy oreos single stuff all day <laughs> so um that's all the questions i have but um i don't know if uh chuck or christopher have any 
uh, questions oh. from chat. Oh, we got a bunch of questions from the chat. Can we so, can we lightning around them, Chuck? Is that we, something we can do? Yes, we can lightning <laughs> round them. So Reed H. Cooper says, is Thatcher still your greatest opponent that you've had in the past two years? You kind of answered that before. Uh, has to be. He's he's someone I could work with every single day and like not have to think about it. We're just very, we think very similarly and like full admission. Um, we've had matches before where we didn't say a single word to one another when we were in the ring together. We literally just went out there and did it. So yes. 100%. That's awesome. I have a question. Yes. You had a couple of a couple of matches in Mania Week. What was your favorite one to be a part of? From this past Mania Week. This past Mania Week, yep. Without a question. I mean, all, all three of them were, were good. You know, um, Jaden Newman is a, is a nice up-and-coming um, wrestler out of the Chattanooga area. I was happy to work with him. That eight-man tag was very cool, getting to work with so many, like, amazing independent wrestlers from – you know, from when I was watching and, and kind of coming up, like a lot of extra guys, that was amazing. But without a doubt, it's it's the Eric Royal match. It was supposed to happen twice before, both in New Jersey in 2019 for Mania and then 2020 Tampa. Tampa. Full admission, if the Eric Royal match isn't on the table, I don't even bother to, to go to Tampa this, this past April. Like, and that was brought to my attention by Action and Sup that, hey, we want to make this match finally happen, that's when I, I seriously look at how much of a pain in the ass it was to, for me to get to Tampa. But I made it I made it a reality because that match was on the table. So Nice. And all three matches were awesome. Thank, uh, thank you. Yes. No problem. Vic Sage has, has a, a gear question. Is there a wrestler's gear that you admire or envy out there? Oh. I mean, this is uh maybe a little close to home because I, I already admitted that he's a friend of mine but like i really like kevin Koo's gear he he has like his color pat his colors and his patterns it's very simple and basic like mine it's just kind of tights and kick pads and knee pads but actually sometimes he doesn't wear knee pads because he's a lunatic but um but yeah like him and dom for their match against um fin juice this this past many weekend they got some brand new, like kind of teal and black matching gear that I thought mm -hmm. looked really spot on. So yeah, I, I like their stuff for sure. Nice. Another gear question uh, from Reed. Have you considered not wearing a soccer shirt and maybe a singlet? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had people suggest getting a singlet made to look like a soccer shirt, but like built into actual tights themselves. Um, that's an idea that I've considered. Um, two things. One, I'm definitely not at a point, like really not now, because COVID has not been good to me. Um, I'm really not at a point where I feel comfortable wrestling without the shirt on. Um, but two, um, I'm the only person who wrestles in a soccer shirt and that sets me apart and I don't plan on changing that. So definitely. Okay. I got two questions from the CEO of action wrestling, Matt Griffin. He yes. wants to know what is your current Tetris record? Oh, okay. Uh, so ba -ba 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 -ba. Uh, those playing along at home, I am a hardcore uh, NES Tetris, the original 1989 version for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Nice. Um, 
and where are my records just looking them up admittedly i've kind of plateaued a little bit uh, unfortunately so like the maximum score on NES Tetris is 999999 and and then it can't go above that and the the highest level that you can do before it gets like bonkers to be able to play is level 29 um previously anything higher than level 29 was believed to be unplayable there are now people who can play above level 29 i think there's someone who's gone all the way to level 34 which That's is crazy. insane um, I've gone to level 29 seven times, uh, and my top score that I've ever had on on uh, NES Tetris is 690,000-ish. So, um, like, world-class players are in, like, the 800-900 range, no problem. Um, the World Championships of Tetris are in Portland, Oregon, which I mentioned previously is only about a six-hour drive for me. So one of my goals was to, to one day qualify for that. Uh, but like I said... I, I've kind of plateaued in my ability. I don't think I'll ever qualify, but one of these days I would like to go just as a spectator. So that would be awesome to see. Matt also wants to know how does it feel to be on everyone's wish list to wrestle? Um, that's actually really humbling. That's like super humbling. Like, I mean, you guys all saw I've got a huge wish list of people that I'd like to wrestle, but the fact that there's so many, I mean, there's a lot of peers. You know, a lot of people who have similar levels of experience or slightly less experience than me who, you know, will name drop me as someone they want to wrestle. There's so many people who are like new or young, up and coming. And they, you know, the fact that people actually look up to me and, and reach out to me for advice and and reach out and, and say like, hey, I would love to wrestle you one day, you know, and there was multiple people that I met in Tampa this, this past go around who came up to me and were like, like, holy shit, are you Daniel Macabe? Like, I've always wanted to meet you. I'd love to wrestle you. That's so humbling. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm human. You know, I've got, I've got a chip on my shoulder. I've got a bit of an ego, you know, you kind of have to, if, if you want to get really good at something, but like, those are the moments where you sort of go, Jesus Christ, like, really? Like me? Like, that's, yeah, that's amazing, honestly. And, and Anyone who wants to wrestle me, I mean, I, I'm up for the challenge. I'd love to wrestle you. So, okay, we got two music questions. Uh, yeah. Reed asks, "2021 music recommendations. What are they? Because, as he says, you have very good taste." Oh, that's easy. Um, boop, 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 boop. There's been a couple records that came out this year that I love already. Um, the new Julian Baker record uh, is amazing. Uh, it came out uh, at the end of February. Um, there's a new Mogwai record who are a Scottish post-rock band that have been around forever. Uh, it's called As the Love Continues. Um, it's really good. Um, there's a new Godspeed You Black Emperor record that came out at the beginning of April. Um, and for anyone playing along at home, uh, my entrance <laughs> music is is um, a song called Providence by Godspeed Black Emperor, who are an amazing post-rock band from Montreal, Quebec. Uh, and then um, probably my favorite uh, album to come out in 2021 is by a British band called Black Country New Road. And they're a seven-piece kind of post-rock band. I referenced, um, you know, when we were talking about my favorite albums of all time, 
Uh, I referenced Slint Spiderland as being my second favorite record of all time. Black Country New Roads have a record out called For the First Time. It came out in February. And it's um, not only does it got like serious Slint vibes, but they actually reference Slint in one of the songs. Um, but yeah, it's like a seven piece kind of post rock with elements of jazz and nice. like with a smash. It is my easily my favorite record to come out this year. But there's a bunch of stuff that I, I can go on beyond that. But yeah, <laughs> there's a few things for you. That, that's a whole nother podcast. That, that, that's part two. Sure. I have a question. You being yes. a musician, what is your favorite song to play? Oh, that's not one of my own. Um, let me see. What is my favorite song to play? Sometimes I just like, I, I have like my staples that me and my drummer can kind of play together. Um, Cause he's someone that I played in multiple bands with. Um, so like, I'd rather just play something that's relatively easy and, and maybe I can actually sing and play at the same time. Um, like we'll play um, uh, Guided by Voices songs together. We'll play White Stripe songs together. Um, uh, what's my favorite song to play? Um, boo, 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 boo. Trying to think what else have we knocked out honestly playing that that slint song for that promo although it was a pain in the ass to get it get it nailed down that felt really good once we once we got it um yeah i don't know i like playing stuff that's loud and fast too like when when uh, the other thing when we went on that cuban tour in 2017 in addition to my own band playing like there were members of all the individual bands who did um we closed out every night with like a set of like classic punk and hardcore covers. So we played um, the Misfits and Ramones. We played Black Flag songs. We played Bad Brain songs. Um, we'd play um, songs by Agnostic Fronts. We played songs by the Cro-Mags. So, uh, and I actually got to do vocals uh, for that band, which is not something I'm particularly great at, but it was like super fun just to be like, I don't know. That's it, kind of like, punk rock like summer camp being like just play all your favorite hardcore songs and you can shout them and and if you don't do a good job well like everyone's having a good time anyway <laughs> <laughs> there you go okay two more questions one yes. uh we you talked about your love for coffee do you have another favorite beverage other than coffee oh all I've been drinking lately is water, but that's not it. Uh, what do I like other than coffee that I will? Hmm. You know what? I don't have it very often because I, I try not to drink drink like liquid sugar. But just like on a on a hot day, like a, I don't drink uh, like alcohol. Uh, but on a hot day. Um, like a really nice cold, like vanilla Coke um, is just like, it hits the spot. You know what I'm saying? I, I gotcha. I hear you on that one. Hmm. Last question is of course, from me being a hockey fan, you being from Canada, you mentioned hockey a little bit earlier. Did you have a favorite team? Did you follow anybody growing up? And are you interested in seeing the new Seattle Kraken when they start playing? I, I was more of a hockey fan as a kid than I was, than I am now, admittedly. 
Um, like I was the right age when the Canucks made their Stanley Cup run in 94. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost to the New York Rangers that damn, year. Damn the Rangers. We hate and them on this podcast. We uh, had a riot. And then we lost again in 2011 to the Boston Bruins. And we had a riot. Um, so Vancouver does not have a good history of being um, good losers whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, Vancouver sports fans kind of suck. Um but um, so, yeah, growing up, like I, I was a Canucks fan. Um, admittedly, I kind of liked Anaheim when they came into the league because of the Mighty Ducks movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I was of that age. Um, but uh, but no, it, it was all about Vancouver. I mean, it was the right, right era. We had like a really good team in the 90s. We had Pavel Bure. We had mm-hmm. Alexander McGillney, Trevor Linden. Um, Kirk McLean in net yep. who you know who was uh, a world-class keeper um, and so yeah I, I definitely grew up as a uh, as a Canucks guy and you know what I've got friends in in Seattle who are really amped for uh, the Kraken and like I said my, my girlfriend's in Seattle so I, I fully expect us to go to a Kraken game for sure Actually, nice. I, I was when I was in Seattle a couple weeks ago I uh, drove by the the stadium and they're under full renovations to get that thing up and running for, I don't know. Are they, are they supposed to start the next fall? Is I that believe so. Yeah. They're in September. Yep. Or draft Octo- I guess technically up in a month, October. So um, we'll see if that happens, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll go see a cracking game. Admittedly, Canucks games got to the point where when, when the Canucks were good in like the 2010s, it was the most unaffordable thing you could do in Vancouver. Like if you wanted to go to a Canucks game, you weren't getting in the door for less than a hundred dollars each. Even now the Canucks are a terrible team. And prior to COVID you're not getting in the door for less than like 60, 70 bucks. And um, I don't like hockey that much to to spend that kind of money on it. Um, And admittedly, I already have season's tickets for the Vancouver Whitecaps. So there you go. Val, that's all I got. Back to you. Well, um, that is all I got. I don't have anything to contribute to hockey talk. I'm a baseball girl. <laughs> that's so. okay. I, <laughs> I, I, I am, I am too. I'm uh, I mean, a lifelong Seattle Mariners fan and I, I can't wait. I mean, they're, they're playing in the stadium. I was in Seattle when, when, you know, they had opening weekend against uh, San Francisco but uh, I'm not quite at the point where I'm ready to, to get into a baseball stadium. Maybe once I get uh, <laughs> vaccinated, I will look at that as an option, but I miss going to baseball games. We only have a, we've got a short season single A team here in Vancouver who are the Vancouver Canadians. Um, they're the, um, they're a single A team for the Toronto Ma- uh, Maple Leafs, Toronto Blue Jays. And, uh, and so, yeah, I love going to baseball games you know, single A games here in Vancouver or, or major league games in Seattle. So. I'm, uh, I'm a Yankees fan, but um, <laughs> we have, there, there must be some kind of minor league team in Omaha though. There or, is, there's, um, I don't know if it's a single A or double A, um, but the, I think they're the storm chasers now, but they're for the uh, farm team for the Royals. That makes sense. So. Yep. Yeah, so I do like going to games when there are games to go to. And it's so cheap and it's just like throwing 100, like 100%, 100%. <laughs> yep. 
Well, then that is all I have. Um, this has been The Stack. I am, as always, Val Pancakes. This has been Daniel Maccabe. Um, Please follow him on all social media outlets and make sure to catch up on his completely stellar matches from Mania Weekend on IWTV. Um, where can people find you as far as uh, Twitter, Instagram? I don't know if you have TikTok, like whatever. Plug your socials. <laughs> I, I'm nearly 40, so I definitely don't have TikTok. Um, <laughs> I do have Instagram and Twitter. Both are at Daniel Maccabe, D-A-N-I-E-L-M-A-K-A-B-E. Uh, follow me there. That's where you're going to find out about the next time that I'm wrestling or if I'm going to plug anything I've done cool in the past. Um, most of my matches you can find on YouTube or IWTV. Um, I've wrestled quite a bit for WXW, so they've got a really stellar streaming service, WXW Now, that you can find some matches on. I'm even on the WWE Network, or I was until they blew that thing up, which is wild. But um, and, uh, and yeah, follow me on, on social media. I post daily music recommendations, uh, so that's a good spot to keep up if you're in a rut or you need something new to listen to, or maybe just a reminder of something you haven't listened to in a while. Um, and yeah, other than that, um, yeah, that's the best best way to keep up with me. I um, I genuinely appreciate you uh, guys asking me to be a part of this, and uh, and this was a lot of fun. And, and like I said, sorry uh, that I just talked for the last two hours, but uh, there you go. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to spend it with me. Um, I certainly appreciate you being on tonight. And thank you all for joining us. I hope everyone has a delightful evening. Thank you. <laughs>